0: You're listening to the Co Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event, Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, it's your friend and mine from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, uh, I saw on Twitter today that your daughter took her first steps.
1: Yeah, how about that?
0: And and then I uh, saw on Facebook from your wife that her first steps were taken in your direction.
1: That's true. Technically, I that, guess.
0: Now, your wife was trying not to be uh, Im, uh, jealous of that.
1: Well, let's just say that my daughter's walking ability right now is at the point where direction is kind of maybe not the word I would use. She's just kind of lifting up her foot and then putting it down slightly in front of where it was before. So, I mean, hey, man, if you want her to walk in your direction, it's it's pretty easy. You just kind of place yourself in the limited range which she's capable of walking, and there you go. I wouldn't read too much into it though.
0: No, but I think also that you need to savor these moments because uh for much of her life she's gonna want to have absolutely nothing to do with you. So well, you that's know, cool. I mean I assume Steps in your direction, man. That's you should take that, keep that close. I
1: assume I'll be living in a roadside motel by then, you know, just uh sitting there watching the watching the T V and, and drinking Coors tall boys every day, right?
0: Yeah, I suppose in the future, if she's going to have to take or be able to take st- steps in your direction, she's going to have to know your whereabouts,
1: Yeah, which is
0: not a given at gonna this point. Going to
1: take steps in the direction of the store where dad was last seen going out for a pack of smokes.
0: Well, Ben, we've got a lot to talk about this week, so I guess we should probably uh, roll through it as best we can. Uh, This week's music comes from listener Gavin McLaughlin and his band Bedrock Republic. Okay,
1: got to be the name of a neo-Nazi band.
0: They are from County Leitrim in Ireland. Not a real place. Leitrim? Man, Ireland just loves
1: to make up city names, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I nailed this one, though. Uh, Their EP is called In Debt, and it can be streamed at their SoundCloud page. I think you can download it from there, too. Uh, We will put that link on comainevent.com. When we get this episode posted as usual, this episode comes to you in three rounds in round number one, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks had a fight this past weekend during the fight. A lot of stuff happened and we will talk about it in round number two, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks had a fight this past weekend and after the fight, a lot of stuff happened. We're going to talk about that. And in round number three, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks had a fight this past weekend. Before the fight, a lot of stuff happened. We are going to talk about all of that. As for right now, though, before we get started, let's do, like we always do about this time, a little bit of listener mail.
1: Listener mail.
0: Ben, the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Mike Martinez. He writes, watching Dana White rant after UFC 167 made me question not the validity of his statements, anything he says is to be taken with a grain of salt, but why he chose to say it in the first place. Why attack the regulatory body of record in the United States? If Nevada is dog shit, what does that make Texas over a decision that made made me feel nowhere near as terrible as a half dozen decisions where the UFC acted as its own regulatory body? You know what? Props to Mike Martinez here for referring to the UFC as an it and not a they. There you go. Uh, Somebody's
1: listening out there, Chad. That's
0: right. He continues, I always hold up the 50-45 scorecard in Edgar Penn 1 as the hallmark of terrible judging. The only thing I can think of is that the UFC is in some kind of power struggle with the NSAC, but over what? My guess? This is the opening salvo in the war over Vitor Belfort. If Weidman versus Belfort is going to happen, Belfort needs to get licensed in Nevada, and what better way for a guy who is used to bullying his way around to get what he wants than to try to even leverage Then try to get every leverage he can over Keith Kaiser. Now this might be... Or as
1: Bruce Buffer calls him, Keith Kaiser.
0: Keith Kaiser. Uh, Now this might be completely off base, but there's got to be some reason he did that. Discuss with a bunch of S's at the end of it you know I would
1: mostly agree with this theory with the exception that I don't think this is the opening salvo I yeah. think the opening salvo was when Dana White in Brazil was saying that Vitor can fight in Las Vegas doesn't matter what Keith Kaiser says right.
0: yeah and that's why I almost laughed when I read this one because of the line the only thing I can think of is that the UFC is in some kind of power struggle with the NSAC but over what yes. <laughs> like, I think we found out pretty clearly over what the yeah. week before when Dana White uh Kind of, I guess, restrained himself a little bit from completely going off on Keith Kaiser when uh, he was in the interview with Ariel Helwani where they asked – where Ariel asked him uh, if he would consider not doing fights in Las Vegas. And Dana White kind of said, well, I'm not going anywhere. Right. As if to uh, imply that someone else might be.
1: Yeah. Uh, and well, and know, apparently he, he keeps re- referencing some situation on the new season, The Ultimate Fighter, uh, where they have some big issue. Uh, and he says that the – People there for the Nevada State Athletic Commission are totally doing something crazy, and apparently, according to what people are saying, you know that during the filming of this, Dana White just went off on them, and who knows how much of that they'll show. Uh, but it sounds like, yeah, he's at this point has kind of zeroed in on that, and that now anything that happens in the state of Nevada around a, a mixed martial arts bout is going to be proof that the governor. Governor needs to he come needs down to call here. In
0: the gov- no, I got the impression bringing the national guard. You know the way that he came out at the UFC 167 press conference, just throwing bolos, just uh, throwing them bungalows, I guess you would say, from the word go. Almost like you just didn't want to be in his eyesight, or he was going <laughs> to rip you for something. Uh, when when you, you know when he came out doing that about this decision, I kind of felt like he had pre-decided at some point that whatever the next thing that happened in Nevada that could be considered even remotely uh, a source of controversy that he was just going to pop off.
1: Right. And when you think about it and you know, who made this point was uh, in the post fight presser scrum, the post post uh, opportunity with Dana White uh, ESPN's Brett Akimoto was asking about his just outrage over the decision. And Dana White was saying about how, you know, basically this proves that this they're incompetent in Nevada and, you know, How else could something like this decision happen? Uh, And uh, Brett Okamoto made the point, well, you know we've seen plenty of close decisions maybe go the wrong way uh, throughout UFC and MMA history. We've seen it all over the place. This could have happened anywhere. This really did not have anything to do with Nevada. And these judges, uh, Sal D'Amato, Tony Weeks, uh, and uh, Glenn Trowbridge, right? I mean, yeah, they've been to – UFC events in the UK, in Germany, right. places where the UFC brings their own judges. Uh, Sal D'Amato is just down in Brazil. Uh, you know, it's not as if these are some judges that you only will see in Nevada. These are the same judges that work all over the place. So, yeah, this could have happened absolutely anywhere. A close fight, a one where you see disagreement among you know fans as to who won it. It's not like it's totally unanimous. I mean right. it seems the majority think Johnny Hendricks won it. But, yeah, to say that this was a, something that has any bearing on, like, the commission's competence is just outrageous. I mean that's a point that you already had. And so, you know, to, to the guy with that only a hammer, everything looks like a nail.
0: Uh, Yeah, I've always thought it was weird that there was so much uh, kvetching about judging in this sport that when the UFC gets to go on the road and – essentially name its own judges that they always just bring the guys who do the judging everywhere right. else. Because, you know, we didn't just decide that the judging in MMA is terrible. No, we, we've been playing we've it for like a decade a long for a long time. So I've always thought it was weird even before this, that the UFC just uses those guys when it gets to appoint their, their own j- judges. Uh, the thing that I thought was weird is, and I think, you know, mo- moving forward, Dana White is going to have to decide if he thinks the Nevada state athletic commission is atrocious or if he thinks that it should be, uh, handed the responsibility of conducting all of the drug testing in the sport because he, it is the point, government. At this point, he he's led us to believe that he thinks both of those things. Yes, and I don't think that they're compatible. No, uh, oh, as wh- what's
1: that you say? Dana White might have an internally
0: inconsistent uh, logic at right. work here because he at this press conference, he comes out and says the Nevada State Athletic Commission is atrocious. That's his direct quote. But whenever you, you ask him about drug testing, he says we're the most regulated sport in the world. The government does the drug testing. For the for MMA and the UFC, uh, same regulatory body. Yeah, same guys are doing it. So, so yeah, are, if they are
1: totally incompetent to the point where the governor needs to step in, uh, then it stands to reason that they would also be incompetent at drug testing, and therefore we would need a solution for that. Uh, perhaps even some kind of national regulatory body. But God knows he doesn't want that. You know that's and that's a good point that you make too, because you know and. I think that we see it uh, in a lot of different ways where the UFC seems to want to have stuff both ways in that regard. Like, hey, you know, when we can put this difficult issue of drug testing off on somebody else, then the government is all powerful. When they won't let us into New York, then, uh, you know, it's just sleazy fucking local government, man. You believe these bastards, you know, they do that kind of stuff all the time. So I guess we shouldn't really be as surprised as we are.
0: I, I kind of wish I could be on the fly, uh, be a fly on the wall for when someone calls the governor to complain about the, <laughs> the decision in the George St. Pierre, Johnny Hendricks uh, bow, because I bet that's just like at the top of the governor of Nevada's list yeah. of stuff that he wants to look into. Yeah. Anyway, the second uh, piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dan Yoon. He writes, How sad is it that such a talented grappler like Ben Askren is having such a rough time getting a contract to fight with a major MMA organization? Is UFC seriously not going to sign Ben, or is it just a tactic to try to lower his price? If UFC does not sign Ben, what does that say about the UFC and the state of televised MMA in general? Is this yet another warning shot for all grapplers out there, especially in the UFC, uh, after the release of Fitch and Okami? Will history look back on this moment and this year where the sport of MMA basically became more about the ratings and excitement over pure athletic skill and ability? Well, I would argue that that's been the case for a while. Uh, But, I do kind of feel, No, I don't kind of, I totally feel bad for Ben Askren because it seems like he's kind of caught in the middle of this uh, UFC Bellator feud because, you know, if Ben Askren had not started out in Bellator, even if he did have this relatively boring uh, fighting style, which I would argue he doesn't, when I watch him, he doesn't always seem totally boring to me. He seems really, really one dimensional in his wrestling, but I've seen him have fights where he takes the dude down and, and I feel like it's totally compelling to watch him try to work for a stoppage. Like if he had not, previously been signed with Bellator, the UFC would totally sign him. And uh, at this point, maybe his asking price has gone up because he was Bellator welterweight champion. Uh, Maybe they don't like him because he's more of an outspoken kind of guy. But I really got to believe the UFC uh, is just kind of sticking it to Ben Askin because he's a former Bellator guy, really.
1: Well, and the point in this question where we're asked to consider, is this just a strategy for driving his price down? I mean, as awful as it is to say, I hope, I hope that that's it. I hope that that's it and it's not that we're just – you know, Dana White and the UFC are going to look for an excuse not to sign Ben Askren because they just don't want him. Because it does feel like – I said this in my Twitter mailbag last week. It feels almost like a moral imperative for the sport of MMA because otherwise you're blackballing people essentially because you don't like their style. right? Which you just can't start doing, man. You can't – you'll totally change the, the nature of the sport way too much. Uh, you can't just be like uh, – okay, this guy is awesome, we're not even sure if there's anybody out there who can beat him, uh, but it's not very fun to watch, so therefore we're not even going to bother to try and find out whether anybody can beat him. That, that's insane. Uh, and that goes against exactly what MMA is supposed to be, which is that, hey, you think that your style is better than this other style, uh, or your mix of styles is better than somebody else's mix, throw him in the cage and let that be the deciding uh, factor. Let that tell us the truth. I mean and that's exactly what they should do here and it goes again when we talk about Dana White wanting it both ways – one of the reasons he was saying that he felt that it was so mandatory for George St. Pierre to stick around and do this rematch where it wasn't for John Jones to have an immediate rematch with Alexander Gustafson was that John Jones wanted to fight another contender while Alexander Gustafson gets another win and then comes back, and then we'll do the rematch. Uh, whereas George St. Pierre, as Dana White said, hey, you know who else is he going to fight if not Johnny Hendricks? Well, he could fight Ben Askren, yeah. uh, who I think you could, you could easily make that fight where if you sign Ben Askren, he comes right in, then you have a champion versus champion kind of thing. Except if you're worried that Ben Askren might win and then what will you have told people about Bellator?
0: Yeah, do you think he still has the belt? Because he could totally bring that with him.
1: And see, and, and dump it in a trash can.
0: Exactly. WCW Andre style. Uh, third piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Mike W. He writes after the Hendricks decision, I just don't see any reason. An open scoring system wouldn't benefit everyone. Wouldn't it take pressure off the judges to have their opinions shown while there is still time to make up for bad slash close decisions. If everyone agrees on something between fights, the be, it's that, wait a second. If everyone agrees on something between fights being hard to score and Judges are incompetent, lesser human beings. It would only make sense (laughs) to make every effort to make round-by-round scoring available to everyone. I feel like there might have been a word missing there. Uh, Imagine the tension of a fifth round when the audience, fighters, and judges all know how both... Uh, individual judges, how each individual judge is scoring, like knowing balls and strikes of a particular umpire in baseball and what the scores are. It would make it a lot harder to feel bad for Hendricks in a close but bad decision like this if everyone was on the same page all throughout the fight and he knew what was happening. Isn't a magic solution of finding perfect judges unrealistic? Isn't a better solution to just make the fighters aware and let them do their damnedest to correct it?
1: Yeah, I have no – I can't come up with a good objection to open scoring. I really can't.
0: Yeah, neither can I. And we've talked about it before on the podcast uh, that it, it would seem to make sense and uh, would seem to be something, like Mike points out here, that kind of makes a fight more exciting, really, because if you're going in to the to the fifth round of George St. Pierre versus Johnny Hendricks, for instance, and uh, you know it's tied, then obviously you are going to get uh, both guys coming out and giving it their all to, to take home the welterweight championship. Uh, I think one of the things uh, – that I would worry about. And I'm not saying that this turns me off about open scoring, but I think this, uh, this mail brings it up where it says, wouldn't it take pressure off the judges to have their opinions shown while there is still time to make up for bad slash close decisions. See, the only thing I can think uh, why this could go bad would be if there was a fight that was controversial. And while it was going on, people in the crowd were actively booing, like what the scores were if you were or the judges that are
1: up. are hearing one another's scores
0: right yeah i have a I have a you know that could affect how they score the rest of the fight just because you know they get nervous or whatever, um so I can see in that regard why you might want to keep scores secret, but I mean. Mostly, I feel like open scoring would be good. I mean, they do it in wrestling. I, in wrestling, though, I guess you know what you're getting points for, which would be different different right. from MMA. Well,
1: or like – I mean, he mentions uh, the like, umpires and baseball and, and balls and strikes. I mean, how insane would it be if you went up there and the pitcher threw a bunch of pitches at you uh, and you know, then one of them was just strike three out of nowhere and you were like, What? I thought it was 3-1. I thought or I thought it, I thought it was uh, you know I was up 2-0 on the count. Like imagine you know another sport where you just didn't know. You had no idea until it was over uh how you'd been doing according to the the person who's responsible for determining it. It is kind of crazy when you think about it in yeah, those terms. It
0: is. And I on the whole I think open scoring would be good unless there are ramifications from it that I'm not anticipating at this point
1: well and i mean i can you could come up with a bunch of different hypotheticals for how it might go wrong or how it just might get weird like if you know a fighter gets taken out of it mentally when he hears like what i didn't win that round uh but i don't know i would think if you're a fighter wouldn't you rather know that wouldn't you rather know what the situation is going into that last round if you do need a finish like whether you agree with it or not at least you could know what the stakes are because it seemed like johnny Hendricks in this one i'm sure we'll talk about this uh Kind of thought, hey, I got this in the bag. All I got to do is not lose here. Uh, If he had known the scores, might be a very different fifth round there. And I got to say it would be more exciting too.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, The final piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Chris McDonald. He writes, Hoist Gracie said recently at GSP's Open Workouts that he really thought the sport of MMA needs to go back to no rules, no time limits, no gloves, etc. Although we uh, all probably see this as laughable and a complete pipe dream, do you guys ever see the sport heading in that direction? And if not, would there ever be a new quote-unquote sport to emerge that had these similar characteristics? Now, X-Arm? Yes, X-Arm. Are you telling me that Hoist Gracie thinks that the sport ought to revert back to a time when he was the best at it? Because that's <laughs> that shocking.
1: Mark Coleman thinks that the sport ought to revert back to allowing headbutts.
0: Oh, boy. I, yeah, and you've interviewed Mark Mark Coleman, right? As yes. have I. He does legitimately speak wistfully and, oh, yeah. and regretfully about the banning of headbutts in MMA. And he talks about it in a way that makes you think that he thinks that he might still be the best fighter in the world if headbutts were still alive.
1: You know, I talked to him, as a matter of fact, this weekend at UFC 167, and he said, brother, it was a sad, sad day for me when they took away headbutts. I shed a tear. Uh, you know... And you're right. He does. He does not totally rule out that he would still be heavyweight champion uh, if they still allowed headbutts. But no, I don't see that. Like, I, th- I agree with Big John McCarthy. who said that they're only going to add rules, not take rules away. Even some of the rules that we should probably take away. Um, and I also don't think like I think there's a lot of romanticizing of the old days of MMA. Oh we, yeah, we <laughs> heard it when we got to this 20th anniversary stuff, and we hear it sometimes, like when we have GSP talking about, oh, I want you know no round, you know no round uh, breaks. Um, just will fight for how, as long as it takes or, or some guys talking about how they want no rules like people wouldn't actually want to see that no right the you think you that, would but you don't
0: yeah the reason that rounds exist as a thing you know not necessarily in mma but certainly the reason why rounds were devised as a, as a thing in boxing was because before they had rounds fight was, fights would fights will get super boring because both <laughs> guys will get tired and so they they at some point the people who were making money off of, of fights were like, you know what, we should try to make this more exciting for the for the uh spectator. So we'll give the guys breaks. We'll give them a minute to recover after every three minutes or after every one minute or whatever it was back in the olden times. Uh and if you go back and watch those old MMA fights, even Pride where they Pride had the ten Yeah, the ten minute, yeah, first, the ten round, minute first rounds. Uh, dudes be getting tired. Yeah. Real tired. Yeah, they do. In fact, go watch the uh Daryl Golar Evan Tanner fight, which we've talked about on this show before because of Daryl Golar's hilarious uh, corner cornerman who keeps screaming, punch him in the face, Daryl.
1: The Chad Dundas school of Daryl, man.
0: Punch him in the face, Daryl. <laughs> uh, Daryl Golar is straight up whipping the shit out of Evan Tanner for like the first six minutes of that fight until he gets super tired. And then uh, Evan Tanner comes back and beats him. And that was both those guys' first fight in the UFC. So, you know, if had there been round breaks, we might be sitting here talking about Daryl Golar as a former UFC middleweight champion. Well, and I think
1: that people get into this thing where they have this kind of purist mentality about it. Like, oh, no, it's a fight. This is what a real fight is. You know, you just go until there's a winner and no, no round breaks, no rules. It's like, yeah, okay, if you wanted to do that purist stuff, fine. You could do it in a basement somewhere uh, and, and figure it out that way. But it wouldn't be a job. Because people would not pay to see it, right. or at least enough people would not pay to see it for it to be you know a full-time job. You wouldn't be having motherfuckers come over and pamper your shit out every hour on the hour like GSP gets. Uh, so when even guys like GSP call for something like that, they ought to remember that this, it evolved this way for a reason. And it, the, part of the reason is so that you can get rich as hell doing it.
0: Uh, well that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern, a grievance to air to the Co-Main Event podcast in the future, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website co com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll let you email the podcast. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number 1. Well, Ben, all the people – and I think this pretty much includes all the people who said that Johnny Hendricks stacked up as the toughest test of George St. Pierre's career – Turned out to be right. Uh, Hendricks gave George more than he wanted during their 25-minute fight at UFC 167, but in the end came up just a little bit short, at least according to the official decision. Uh, I suppose let's start there and work backwards. Uh, We both thought Hendricks probably should have won this fight, at least upon first viewing, uh, but I think we also agree that it was a very, very close fight. Uh, In the MMA world, though, there is outrage. Should we be outraged? You know... there have some, been
1: some bad and outrageous decisions out there. This is not one of them. I, I, I mean, again, I, I scored it for Johnny Hendricks, but it was close enough that I could see how somebody can look at that same fight that I just watched and come away with a slightly different opinion. And it's, it really comes down to that first round, if you look at the judges' scorecards. Because I came home uh, yesterday from Vegas, sat down and watched it with the sound off. Uh, and, you know, the first time... I remember watching the first round and thinking that's Johnny Hendricks' round. Hey, and it was kind of, you know, surprising. Like, oh, all right, GSP just went out and lost an opening round. When's the last time that happened? What, the first BJ Penn fight? Uh, and you know, then he comes out and he does it even better in the second round. You're thinking, "Holy shit, here we go." Yeah. But, you know, two of the judges gave that first round to GSP, and upon watching it, I didn't I wouldn't go so far as to say I would give that round to GSP now, but it's definitely closer than I thought it was the first time I watched it. It's not, nobody has a really clear edge in that first round. You right. look at the stats even. The stats tell you that nobody has a clear edge. You know, yeah. the, the, I would not say you're an insane, incompetent, uh, lesser-than-human asshole if you score that round for GSP.
0: Right. And you know one of those strange things about this fight uh, and is that right at the beginning of the first round, as we've, we've just had this, like, a couple of weeks of fairly substantial hype about Johnny Hendricks, talking about how he's going to be the, the stiffest test ever for GSP. Well, he comes out in the opening seconds and tries to, to load up one of them hillbilly haymakers, and immediately, That's offensive. That's George St. Pierre takes him down. Just like right yeah. right off the jump and uh and, and you know, tries to choke him out. And I don't know, you know, how close that choke was or whatever, but like for the first couple of seconds of the fight, uh, you think, Oh damn, you know, he might George might just end this right here at the beginning or you at least think
1: that he might instill in him a, a, some kind of tentativeness about throwing that punch again
0: right at the very least you think oh well here we go again right right you think that it's going to shape up as just a, a normal George St. Pierre fight where he just takes the guy down and, and and smothers him and beats the ever-loving crap out of him for, for 25 minutes uh, it, it obviously didn't turn out that way I do agree with you that that round number one was very close and you know as I didn't I didn't think I gave it the first time I watched it I gave gave it to johnny hendrix but the more i think about it the more i think uh maybe it depends on on the individual judge and how he or she scores that or you know how what you uh award points for because you know if you are going to give george st pierre credit for that submission attempt which i don't want to get into a huge argument about whether or not you should score that but like if you think george st pierre almost finished the fight right there maybe you do give him that round i don't know
1: maybe well and uh, let's talk for a second about uh how we do and do not score fights because this one seemed to really bring up some of those questions about what is actually in the unified rules uh, in terms of judging. and we heard, uh, Which we've talked about
0: and they're horrible and right. you can't use them because it destroys the sport.
1: But you know, the, the UFC president showed up at the press conference saying, hey, this is a fight. It's about damage. It's about who did more damage, which does not appear in the unified rules. No, right. yeah, There's nothing not in, there. in the unified rules that says at the end of the fight, we compare the dude's facial bruising. And that's how we determine who won, you know. Especially since we score these things round by round. It's not like we just look at them both at the end of the fight and be like, uh, that guy looks pretty right. fucked and, up."
0: And that, for starters, is not fair because a half of Johnny Hendricks's face is covered with an enormous beard. There you go. As far as you know, underneath that beard, he might just be black and blue all it over. Could the be place. a goddamn mess under there. And George St. Pierre, the the with the fair skinned French Canadian, yeah.
1: the gentle gentle pair, yeah, to uh, just you know a strong wind comes in and the guy's got a black eye.
0: Right, yeah. We've seen that in so many of his other fights. He's red marks all over his forehead where you can see the seams of Johnny Hendricks' gloves. Right.
1: That means that he did look awful. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did, Andrew in it.
0: fact, appear to have gotten the ever-loving shit beaten out of him.
1: Right, but I mean, I think one of the things that really occurred to me when watching the fight a second time was that, uh, especially the way we score it round by round, and we have this in our heads that, you know, anything from very narrowly winning a round to winning it pretty decisively but not coming close to finishing the guy at any point, There's that covers a pretty big range. And right. we have decided in this sport that that is all a 10-9. It doesn't matter. They're exactly the same. There's a lot of territory in there between those two extremes, and they're both Uh, You know, We're so reluctant to give out ten tens. I think you could make a case that that first round was a a 10-10 if we've ever seen one. Uh, And we're also really reluctant to give out ten eights unless the dude is just getting absolutely fucking mauled for the entire round. And so you look at this fight where Johnny Hendricks' rounds, two and four, which everybody seems to agree Johnny Hendricks won – both of those, he was putting a pretty good hurt on, on GSP. You know, yep. he had some really uh violent moments in those rounds. And GSP's rounds that everybody agrees he, he won pretty much three and five, he doesn't have any of that. But he is outworking him. He's just throwing more stuff out there. He's forcing Johnny Hendricks to react to what he's doing and not being able to get much of an offense on his own. Uh And... You know, he's never really looking like he's hurting Johnny Hendricks, and that might be partially because Johnny Hendricks seemed to have the strategy that even if George St. Pierre kicks you in the face, you step back and kind of roll your eyes like, oh, brother.
0: Yeah. No, Uh, actually, when I was watching the fight, and every time Johnny Hendricks got kicked in the face, I felt like he stepped back and got this look on his face like, oh, man. (laughs) Like... He, he had gotten a splinter. Or something. <laughs> like he was out painting the barn and he got a splinter. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. He's, every time he stepped back and made a mental note that he should probably next time remember to bring his work gloves out and then was like, ah, screw it, and went right back to it. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is how I think people looked at the fight as a whole and were like, man, Johnny Hendricks' moments uh, where he's really on the attack stand out to you because you could tell he was really doing some stuff that was hurting GSP. And GSP's stuff just wasn't like that. It was more just kind of a constant output uh, that was overwhelming him in volume, but never really damaging him, never really hurting him. Uh, and so it stands out in your memory as something, well, this guy was kicking ass, the other guy was just kind of getting by. Right. Uh, and so then when you think of the fight as a whole, you think that guy doesn't deserve to, to win a decision. It seems more like a robbery. Whereas if you actually go round by round, which is how they judge these damn things, you can see it. You know, I, I feel like you can make a, a case for it. I still think Johnny Hendricks won, but I, I don't see how it's something that you can't possibly fathom how somebody else... A reasonable person watching the same fight as you came to a different conclusion.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about round two where when I watched it, I felt like maybe the most significant exchange of action in the entire fight occurred. Uh, and it's it's kind of a weird exchange that has largely been overlooked, I think, in the reportage of the fight in the aftermath because, you know, so much weird stuff happened after this fight that, that that's sort of the only thing we've been focused on. Uh, you, you, it's like people don't even remember Rashad Evans and Chael Sonnen had a fight on this card, but uh, in in the second round, Johnny Hendricks staggers George St. Pierre with an uppercut and, I thought, appeared on the verge of finishing him with strikes when, inexplicably johnny hendrix's mouthpiece like i guess falls out of his mouth or yeah. got knocked out or he spit it out uh and at first while i was watching the fight live i thought it was george st pierre's mouthpiece, right. and i thought oh jesus like, yeah this this is over right here uh and so you know we we call for a stoppage it turns out that it's johnny hendrix's mouthpiece uh he, he call for a stoppage at a weird time yeah too. yes because
1: yeah. it's gsp is kind of staggered there and he's looking to clinch up and it looks like he's looking to clinch up out of kind of desperation that you know something to make this stop uh and that he needs a second to 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 rest and recover uh and you can even see it looks like from johnny hendrix's body language that he is looking for a way to get out of that clinch and look to get back to punching gsp in the head uh but very quickly after that clinch uh, Mario Yamasaki calls time to replace Johnny Hendricks' mouthpiece. At first, wants to take it over and get it washed out. And Johnny Hendricks is just like, no, man, just give me
0: the thing. Put it in my mouth, man. Put it in my mouth. No. what I oh, mean? man. Know what I mean? Yeah, you know, there was uh, this entire fight card, there were a lot of odd stand-ups. A lot of, like, very um, very quick stand-ups. And, and I don't know if refs get together prior to an event and talk about strategies for, like, how they're going to officiate all the fights. But at this one, it sure looked like they had, uh, you know and they had a strategy of going for early standups because I felt like it happened kind of all, all night long. And this one where they kind of broke up George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks to put Hendricks, mouthpiece back in was was just one of them. But uh, you know, after that happened, it seemed like George St. Pierre to his credit really, really recovered quickly after that brief uh, stoppage to to get the mouthpiece back in. He kind of puts it back together a little bit there uh, and is at least able to survive. And certainly he lost that round, but at the same time was able to come back and be more competitive for the rest of the fight after that happened
1: well and i think gsp's great strength in this fight and the thing that saved it for him probably was that uh he never seems to get too high or too low. You know, he'll, he'll get hurt and, as you say, recover quickly. When things are going well for him, he never really freaks out uh, and maybe that's why he doesn't finish more fights. Uh, but he's able to keep a really high, constant pace throughout the fight. And Johnny Hendricks was not able to do it. They, they, I mean, Johnny Hendricks was way more dangerous in the first and second round, you can see. you know, And by the third, the fourth, the fifth round, a little bit of the, the zip has gone out of that left hand. Right. He, he doesn't quite have as much steam. And I think that that's that really cost him, especially in the fifth round, like we said, where he seemed to be looking to kind of get through, uh, whereas GSP was still had like, you know, a constant work rate. Uh, and it, that's one of the things that served him well throughout his entire career. He didn't look spectacular in this fight. You know, if he really is dealing with, with other issues, you can see how maybe it it might have showed up in, in that sense. But, man, when it, when it's gut check time in that fifth round, he's the one who can – Keep keep his foot on the gas there. And that's probably what saved it for him.
0: Yeah, And I have dueling questions about that. Actually, like you, we talked about it during listener mail. Um, do you think it was a, a case of Johnny Hendricks getting tired? Or do you think that it was a case of Johnny Hendricks feeling like he had the fight in the bag? And maybe he took his foot off the gas pedal a little bit? Well, I think in the
1: in the fifth round, I think he felt like he had it in the bag. But I do think that like by the third round, I think you can see a difference between Johnny Hendricks in the third and Johnny Hendricks in the second. Uh, maybe it wasn't necessarily that he was super tired yet, but that you know he'd never been five rounds. And so he was trying to make sure that, uh, especially if he thought he did really well in the first two, that he didn't fade, that he wasn't going to give too much too early. And so he wanted to kind of save a little bit. Uh, but I do think in the in the fifth round, like when he gets up off his stool after, at, after the fourth round, his corners there telling him like, "Hey, you know you got this, go out and get that belt uh, and he seemed to interpret that to mean don 't go do something stupid and get submitted or something. Right. Uh, that seemed to be how he was fighting there He did it, and it seemed like you could interpret that another way as to like, hey, win this round, and you got it." You know, win this one round and that belt is yours. And he didn't really fight like he felt like he absolutely had to have that round. And GSP did. And I think that makes a difference.
0: And I guess my my, my second question, the dueling half of this question, like do you attribute any of this, uh, any of Johnny Hendrix's apparent success in this fight to GSP showing his age? Because he's he's 32 now. he's He's come off at least one major knee surgery and uh, and rehab effort, does he look any different to you? Does he look less explosive or, or less uh, dominating with his takedowns than he did two or three years ago?
1: You know, maybe slightly, but I, it's not one of those things like a, a Chuck Liddell thing where he shows up and suddenly looks a lot older, or even Randy Couture at times where he shows up and... And you just think, man, the guy has aged five years in a couple seconds. I don't think you see that. I mean, I think you see kind of the same GSP uh, that we've always seen where, you know, he can take a guy down and and just kind of overwhelm him with volume, but is always vulnerable to one big shot. Uh, But like you said, I mean, he took that, that big shot here and recovered. You know, I think one of the things that we usually see with guys when they're getting older is that they don't do that as well.
0: All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week?
1: Well, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me, if we can just transition away from the UFC for a moment and talk about Bellator, where uh, your boy, Quentin Rampage Jackson. The true main event of the weekend. Yeah. uh, He went in there and threw them bungalows at Joey Beltran in, uh, I guess, uh, Cruiserweight? Is that, is that what we're calling yes, this? Yes.
0: Cruiserweight.
1: 210-pound. Uh, oh, light-ish heavyweight. A, a feature, a 210-pound feature, special attraction. Uh, and knocked out, or at least earned the TKO stoppage at the very end of the first round, and then declared he was back after stopping a dude who's lost, I believe, six of his last nine? And that's what proves that you're back? Are you fucking kidding
0: that, me? Are you fucking kidding me? Not only that he's back, but he put everyone else in the 210-pound 200 division on notice. That's right. He said everybody needs to watch out in my division. Yeah. I'm coming for that cruiserweight strap. That's right. Look I have at, no idea who the Bellator cruiserweight champion
1: is, but he's, probably looking a Russian. Up, he's looking over his shoulder. He's right probably a Russian way. guy right now. I'm just saying that guy might want to think
0: about dropping the 205. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of <laughs> Rampage's way. He's coming for that you pounds Kidding You're talking about belt.
1: your back.
0: Fucking kidding me. Ben, this this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to MMA fans who I think we've learned at this point uh, conclusively will make a goddamn conspiracy out of anything. Yes, they will. Like this week, it wasn't even good enough that we had this enormous controversy over the split decision in the main event of UFC 167. Contrarian motherfuckers had to take up the other side of the argument and be like, nah, man, Johnny Hendricks tapped out in the first round, causing a stir, I guess, good enough that we had to go make a goddamn gif about it. We had to make a goddamn GIF to you, prove that Johnny oh, Hendricks. Oh, you mean a GIF? Yeah, no, a GIF. That's okay, that's what I said. A, it's a GIF, uh, okay.
1: I didn't understand it for a GIF we talking about. We had about. to go
0: make a GIF proving that Johnny Hendricks did not, in fact, tap out in the first round. You fucking kidding me, people? Fucking kidding me, GIF? <sighs> GIF, that's what I said. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. <laughs>
1: Chad, I bet you thought that when you were sitting down to watch the pay-per-view, you were just paying for the fight itself.
0: Yes, yeah. You didn't even know there was an after-party on there, did you? <laughs> no, I thought I was spending Ben Fulk's hard-earned 99 to just watch these fights. I didn't even know there was going to be a circus sideshow after the damn thing got over. Well, first of all, George St. Pierre, in his
1: post-fight interview, looking... As nervous for a post fight interview as I've ever seen him.
0: Yeah. uh, almost crying, like almost breaking down in tears.
1: And has this awkward kind of exchange with Joe Rogan where it's clear he wants to say something. And the something that he wants to say is that he's having some stuff going on in his personal life and he needs to hang up the gloves for a little bit. Step away for at least a little while to make a point in his life uh, and kind of get his stuff together. Not retiring, but definitely not declaring his intention to to do it again, brother, with Johnny Hendricks anytime soon. And then that sets off a whole enormous shitstorm of its own. I mean, what's the weirdest part here? Is the weirdest part the way GSP chooses to phrase this? Or is the weirdest part Dana White's reaction to just go show up immediately at the post-fight press conference and fucking bury the UFC's most reliable, most profitable, uh, and just most generally dependable pay-per-view star?
0: Yeah, well, the whole thing was weird, and it just got weirder and weirder, and it continued to get weirder still today on Monday as we record this. Now that TMZ has come out with a report that A, George St. Pierre's father is dying, and B, that George St. Pierre has accidentally impregnated a woman that he does not wish to bear children with oh no he got a girl in trouble yes he got a girl in trouble uh as my grandfather would say and she's holding him for ransom or something with the baby now that that uh as if that report wasn't weird (sighs) enough that has immediately been contradicted by george saint-pierre's sister who says that his dad is fine but didn't Uh,
1: say anything about the girl who might or might not be in trouble
0: no yeah i don't know
1: please let it be a kardashian
0: we can only hope. But but you're right. The whole thing was weird, and you want to know what kind of guy George St. Pierre is? He's the kind of guy that even though he wants to sort of kind of announce his retirement, he's going to stand there politely and answer all of Joe Rogan's questions first and then be like, oh, are you done? Oh, might I have the mic for a moment? <laughs> like, like, I don't even understand how people don't like this guy. He's like the most gentlemanly man in the history of combat sports and uh, frankly has been in the UFC for nine years. Blood, sweat, and tears style has logged more uh, octagon minutes than anyone else alive. And people are going to act like if this guy wants to walk away and take some time off, like he's doing someone an incredible disservice. No, no, no. Anyone. No, people
1: aren't going to act like that people are not doing that. Dana White is doing that. Nobody else is doing that. I don't see anybody else out there going like, oh, that is some bullshit George St. Pierre. You get back in here. You get back in here and let Johnny Hendricks punch you in the head again. I don't see anybody else doing that. I think most people are being pretty reasonable about it and thinking like, yeah, George St. Pierre doesn't owe us anything. Dana White went on this big tirade. He owes the fans. He owes that belt. He owes the UFC. He owes Johnny Hendricks to get in there and do this rematch. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do anything. If he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't have to fight. The UFC decides that that is just, uh, you know, an unwarrantable imposition on its welterweight title. Fine. You know, you can always strip him of the title if that's how you feel. Uh, And you can see how popular that decision is going to be. But hey, If
0: he says, I don't want to fight, I don't think anybody should be trying to guilt trip him into fighting. Hell no. I mean, we saw how this one went. (laughs) Like, it didn't seem like he was all there mentally for this one. Still managed to come out there and have a a competitive fight with the guy that we all assumed was going to be his toughest test ever in his career. Now we want to come back and make him do it again. You know, while he, I guess, reportedly is, is... is staggering under the weight of some kind of personal, uh, uh, personal demons. Like, I don't see how that's a good idea. Like, if anything, if the guy wants to take a couple years off, strip him, make somebody else a champion, and if George St. Pierre ever wants to come back, there you go. Well, it's not like
1: uh, I mean he fought twice in 2013, right? Defended his title twice in 2013. the uh, Last time he did that uh, was 2010, uh, 2011, and 12. He both defended the title only once, and it was not an utter fucking disaster for the UFC. I mean, he had you know knee injury stuff going on, so it, it wasn't like that was necessarily a choice on everybody's part. But you know, if he just, like say he doesn't fight again until you know the end of 2014, like. That doesn't seem like, based on what we know of UFC champs, that that would be outrageous to, to go that long without a title defense. I mean, I can see how you'd rather not if you don't have to. And especially uh, weird, the dude who stands to make a bunch of money off of a George St. Pierre, Johnny Hendricks rematch, rematch seems absolutely incensed that, that he wouldn't immediately agree to it right after being punched in the head for 25 goddamn minutes. Uh, but I think that most of us can really easily understand that, that you, I mean, I could understand why he might want to take some time, even if he didn't have stuff going on in his personal life. I mean, as Nick Diaz would say, he's been fighting these hitters, man. He's been fighting these hitters, bro.
0: Yes, he has. And he, he
1: deserves a little time off.
0: You know, one of the stranger things to me throughout this weekend, both before and after the, the the fight, was how Dana White continually goes back to refer to George St. Pierre's bank account. Like He does it a lot, talking about how rich George St. Pierre is and about how George St. Pierre could retire if he wanted to and how he could live comfortably for the rest of his life if, if he wanted to. Well, I mean, no shit, dude. Uh, I hope that he's rich. I sure as hell hope he's got enough money. To to retire, I mean, the guy's had twenty-one fights in the UFC. He's been one of the company's most dominant champions. He's consensus one of the greatest mixed martial arts fighters of all time. I sure as hell hope he's rich. I, you know, I, 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 pers- I hope he's the richest man in the fucking world. I hope that he is not Probably, hurting for money.
1: So does this hypothetical, possibly imaginary woman who he supposedly <laughs> got? Ac- <laughs> yeah. By the way, I mean, okay, let's talk for a second about if that's true. Okay,
0: what if George St. Pierre n- knocked up a, a woman? Yeah,
1: and if that's the personal issue stuff first of all if that really is a thing you know and the father thing seems to be already kind of debunked so let's assume just for the sake of argument that that is the thing and imagine when Dana White steps out there because first he's really mad in the press conference, then he goes outside and he talks to George St. Pierre for 10-15 minutes then he comes back and he has a totally different demeanor way more relaxed saying hey his problems aren't as bad as he thinks they are uh, everything will get sorted out like I'm not worried he'll, he'll do the rematch and it won't take too long can you imagine what Dana White's reaction would have been if George St. Pierre was telling him, okay, my personal problem is that, is that I accidentally knocked up a girl? I mean, that's, that's,
0: just, that's nothing to Dana White. Right. That's small potatoes, man. No, Dana White would probably be like, have you ever even heard of Jeremy Stevens? He's under contract with us. I had to try to get him out of jail once, the day of a fight. Yeah. Well, and I mean,
1: first of all. If you are this hypothetical woman and you get accidentally pregnant with George St. Pierre's baby, you keep that baby. You keep that baby. I
0: guess depending on what your other
1: prospects are. No, don't don't even consider it because, A, you know that baby's got a pretty good uh, genetic shot there, and, B, it's a baby that comes with a blank check, for Christ's sake.
0: I guess, and that uh, circles back to my original point, like – Why is it a point to be made and, like, a point of of, uh, almost like George St. Pierre is the exception to the rule that, oh, this guy wants to retire? Oh, yeah, he could do that because he's super rich. Personally, like, when I see George St. Pierre up there on the die, shows up 45 minutes late. uh, Is that how you pronounce that?
1: I think so. I thought it was always deus. 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 Whatever, man. But I, just, I think I've only heard it. You know Seen it in print. I've never someone actually heard it out loud.
0: Us, someone will let us know. On
1: print. okay, good.
0: Uh, he shows up. He shows up there forty-five minutes late after Dana White has just essentially ripped him a new one in his absence. Damn near the first words out of George St. Pierre's mouth are, I would never turn my back on the UFC. Then he immediately segues into this bizarre uh, uh, explanation where he almost starts crying again, talking about how he can't sleep and how he's going crazy and he needs to take a break. I have to be honest, like when I'm watching that happen live, uh, my initial thought is, you know what, this isn't worth it. Like this isn 't worth it for the fighters this isn 't worth it for the fans to be sort of complicit in these guys getting brain damage uh, this isn 't worth it for those of us who like make a living writing about the sport like this is, we're we're exerting such a tremendous physical and emotional toll on these athletes that the only way it could possibly be worth it is if you just absolutely know that you 're going to get unbelievably rich by doing it so to me, it seems weird that like. It's the exception to the rule and notable in some way that George St. Pierre has enough money to retire if and when he wants to.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. I also think that uh, if you want to avoid this kind of scenario, uh, George St. Pierre could have handled this better.
0: And uh, I've been saying
1: for years, don't interview guys in the cage after they fight. It's the weirdest thing ever. But he seemed like he had this, that he was going to try and talk about this beforehand. I mean, you know, we had heard before that he was going to make some kind of. Big announcement afterwards uh, and there was a lot of speculation, you know, is he dropping to 155, whatever, you know, is he retiring? I don't think anybody thought that it was going to go quite like this. But, you know, if, if it is like it, you've got personal problems going on and you need to take some time away to deal with it, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that you want to have a talk with privately with the UFC about afterwards. Yes, or you want any to...
0: and all of this stuff. And yeah. I thought that the week leading up to the fight, like when Dana White kept talking about how he had no idea what George St. Pierre's plans were. Every time I heard that, I kept thinking, "How is that possible? <laughs> like, if you're George St. Pierre, don't you want to at least tell these guys that you're thinking about retiring or that you're thinking about dropping to 155?" Because yeah. either way, I bet they would they would be interested to
1: know. Hey, if, when Benson Henderson wanted to propose to his girlfriend in the cage, he went and talked to Dana White about it beforehand. So, yeah, and I think that if you're going to – it's totally reasonable for you to be like, hey, this is my personal life. I don't want to talk about it with you guys. I don't want to answer questions about it. I, so, hey, I know you're reporters and everything, but I'm not going to answer these questions. Uh, maybe don't open that door in the first place, then, because you know that that's what's going to happen is that everybody's going to want to know the details of it. It's really hard to say, like, I've got, you know, it's like if I told you, Chad, like, you come over to my house and I'm like, look, man, I I'm just going to ask you, please don't go in the basement because I've got a dark secret that I'm hiding in there. I don't really want to get into it because it's personal, but uh, you know, it's a really dark, terrible secret, and it's right there behind that closed door. So please respect that. Uh, you know. It's, it's reasonable to think that people are really, really going to want to know and that, you know, hey, of course, TMZ is going to get their shit together and get on it. If you don't want to have a conversation or if you don't want to have it yet, then don't say anything about it. Because if George St. Pierre, you know, if he had this fight and then we didn't see him again for eight months, I don't think anybody would be like, oh, something's up here. George St. Pierre must have got a girl pregnant. Otherwise, we'd have, seen him, we'd have seen that rematch by now.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it almost just would have been better. No, not almost. It totally would have just been better had George St. Pierre just... Fully announced his retirement and then been like, It's been great. I've loved every minute of it. Right. I'll see you when I see you. And then come
1: back like yeah, Jordan wearing like the four or five. Two,
0: three years later, y- y- people expect you to come back. It's a false <laughs> yes. retirement. Yes. You could go pay this woman off, uh, uh, take two years to raise this baby, and then come back and no one would, would even raise an eyebrow. Uh, is, like, that, is that all it takes? Is two years? Yeah, man. Once they hit two. Your job, your job is done. Oh, this is Finished. good
1: news. I can't wait to tell my wife.
0: Uh, well, let's talk briefly about Johnny Hendricks in the aftermath of this fight. Obviously, he was not too impressed with the judge's decision. Uh, oddly enough, reacted to it with exactly the same words that he used, allegedly, according to the primetime special, when he lost the, I believe, national championship his freshman year in college, where he said, that will never happen to me again. Uh, used those exact same words to close his interview with Joe Rogan in the cage. Uh, kind of a bad look. For Johnny Hendricks, I thought he really came off. I don't know. He kind of like petulant. Yeah, petulant. He, he sort of like undermined our vision of Johnny Hendricks as a fun loving southern boy with a beard. You know, like we just want Johnny Hendricks to to drink beer and sit on the back of his tailgate and listen to Charlie Daniels band or whatever. And like when he just got really mad after the official decision had been been rendered, it kind of made me think maybe Johnny Hendricks is not as likable as I thought he was at first.
1: Yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to be in, at their best right at that moment. Because I see what you're saying, but at the same time, it's hard for me to blame him.
0: No, right? Yeah, I guess I don't blame him. He's clearly uh, 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 at the depths of despair. Maybe not as as deep as George St. Pierre, uh, the guy who won the fight. But uh, but yeah, you know, not at his best. But still, man, I was just like, eh. Yeah, a little well, crack in the facade there for Johnny Hendricks. Well,
1: and but I mean, I don't know. Maybe that should just remind us that we we form. like an image of these guys before we really know everything because Hell, yeah. The guy's a a professional fighter. Like, he's obviously really super fucking competitive. True, You know, So he's not going to take losing well, especially in a situation where he feels like he was robbed of something and he deserved to win. Like, he's going to be mad about that, and he's probably going to complain about it. I mean, if he were going to show up and do the thing where he was like, Oh, shucks, well, I did my best, but I guess it wasn't enough. That's what I get for leaving it in the hands of the judges. I promise to do better next time. Gee whiz. I think we would uh, suppose that that was fake. Like, his reaction now, at least... I feel pretty certain is a hundred percent genuine.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. I don't think you'll ever charge Johnny Hendricks with, with being fake. I don't think he's got it in him. Uh, and now I guess after all of this argument over the, uh, the judge's decision and who should have won the fight, as long as George St. Pierre doesn't retire, it almost doesn't matter because we're right back where we would be no matter who won this fight. It seems like George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks are going to do it again, brother. Uh, And I guess the only thing different than if the judges would have quote-unquote got it right is that George St. Pierre is going to bring the belt and Johnny Hendricks is still going to be the challenger.
1: Yeah. Well, and Johnny Hendricks is going to have maybe a little bit more of an incentive to go out there and look to finish the fight.
0: Yeah. And Uh, who knows what George St. Pierre's mindset will be coming into this. Could be 100% better. Could be 100% worse.
1: I mean, if I'm George St. Pierre, one aspect of my mindset coming into it would be maybe a change in how I perceive my relationship with the UFC because – Man, for six years, I've been champion for these guys. I've made them tons of money. Uh, I've been a reliable star. I don't get in trouble. I don't go say stupid stuff in the press. Uh, You know, the guy that they can absolutely 100% count on and they know it because Dana White has said it over and over again. And then there's one situation where they don't exactly like it and they think that there might be a delay in their next chance to make some money off of me. And they just rip me. And basically, Dana White goes out there and says that, you know, I'm an asshole who's shirking his responsibilities. Uh, just because of that, man, maybe we're not the bros I thought we were. Maybe maybe when I looked at this guy as my partner, as John Jones would say, turned out not to be the case. Maybe he was, I was just a walking dollar sign to that guy, and the minute I was not useful in that regard, he fucking turned on me. Uh, I mean, that would not be an unreasonable conclusion for George St. Pierre to arrive at.
0: No. Speaking of not a good look, uh, not a lot of positive reviews I've seen floating around of Dana White's uh, post-fight press conference diatribe. Especially when the poor guy from the Canadian press tried to ask him, wouldn't it be the best thing to find out what was going on with George here before we start ripping him? And Dana White was just like, no, it wouldn't.
1: Yeah, and then when you do take the time to find out what was going on with him, his attitude totally changes. Oh, what do you know? Maybe it would have been a good idea to talk to the guy before you decided that he was absolutely wrong and deserved to be criticized at, at great length and volume in front of the media.
0: Well, anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we'll talk about all the stuff that happened before this fight in round number three, and that starts right now. Well, Ben, uh, even before this event happened, there had been a lot of speculation that George St. Pierre was going to announce his retirement if he did indeed, indeed emerge victorious over Johnny Hendricks. Uh, part of that was that uh, GSP's mentor, Christoph Madou Implied that George St. Pierre should step aside, uh, so to speak, for Rory McDonald, the heir apparent at 170 pounds. Uh, it could potentially be that part of George St. Pierre's retirement speech was so weird because that plan pretty much got screwed up uh, when Rory McDonald went out there and got beat by Robbie Lawler uh, earlier in the evening. Who um, looked
1: fantastic, by the way.
0: That's right. We've got So now we've got a resurgent Robbie Lawler. We've got Rory McDonald maybe uh, in in a bit of a downturn here after this loss. And we've got, uh, Woodley coming out and knocking Josh Koscheck out, uh, Even with all of the controversy at the top, on this card at least, things are happening at 170 pounds. They are. And
1: that's not even to mention uh, the prospect of Ben Askren outside the UFC still and Matt Brown, Carlos Condit still to come. Uh, But you're right, especially, you know, the the Tyron Woodley-Josh Koscheck fight, I think. uh, Let's talk about that one for a second. Uh, Because... For one thing, Tyrone Woodley's fight against Jake Shields, uh, that one, uh, you know, turned out pretty boring. And there's a, always going to be a question when you've got a guy like Tyrone Woodley, he's a wrestler, you know, what role he played in that. Uh, now, I think that we saw him in the fight before that and a fight after that. I think we can pretty much determine that the, the boring variable there was Jake Shields because Tywin Woodley uh, gave us a hell of a fight here. That guy looks
0: vicious. Yes, he does. And and certainly he's the guy that we've always known had the physical tools to like be that guy to come out and dominate people. Um, and, you know, maybe this is just a perfect storm in that you get 36 year old Josh Koscheck in there. Uh, even before this loss, he came in on, uh, on back-to-back losses had just been TKO'd by Robbie Lawler. Uh, and, and, you know, for Josh Koscheck, a guy who has has always been the kind of guy who seemed like he had plans uh, post MMA career, uh, you really start to get the impression that he probably shouldn't be out there anymore, um, especially when he's getting uh, lit up and knocked out in the, in the first round in, in such uh, kind of dominating and uh, and uh, highlight reel fashion.
1: Right, and you know. Second time this year that he's been knocked out, and uh, Dana White was saying that afterwards he received a, a long text message from Josh Koscheck that was kind of starting to, to talk about retirement uh, and seemed to suggest that he didn't really think that that was the way to go, that Josh Koscheck might still have some fights in him. But, man, I don't know. Like, I always think that's a weird way to start talking about fighters. I heard a lot of people say it with Josh Koscheck, and I don't disagree with them. I mean, Josh Koscheck certainly could still beat a whole bunch of guys and, you know, make a little bit more money. But if you get to that point where I think Josh Koscheck is, what, 35? He's uh, 36, yeah. 36, uh, and, you know, you're obviously – you're not going to become the UFC champion. That, that ship has kind of sailed for you. Uh, you know, what is necessarily the point of – Like, hey, he could have as many as two or three fights left. You know, to what end? To make just a little bit more money? I mean, he's already made a pretty good living, I think, if he's managed it well and he has a gym. Then there's no reason that he has to keep doing it. So uh, I don't know if the goal here should just be to treat a guy's career like, you know, it's an orange rind and we're just going to squeeze it until every last bit of juice is gone. Uh, I would not blame him at all if he retired now, especially because uh, Friday night in Las Vegas, I went to a – A presentation at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, which, as you know, has been doing a a study for a few years now on the the brain health of MMA fighters and boxers. One of the things that they were saying is that, uh, yeah, just like we think that it does get easier to get knocked out the more you get knocked out, that that does seem to be the case. Uh, and stuff like this, uh, you know, after hearing that talk and then seeing Josh Koscheck come in, got, you know, TKO'd by Robbie Lawler and kind of a strange thing where it didn't look like he had taken that many hard shots and then really gets rocked by by Tyron Woodley. You start to think, well, what's he going to what's he going to have if he goes out there and tries to just, you know, squeeze every last fight out of him?
0: Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. Um, and, and, you know, Josh Koscheck is a guy who you don't consider completely washed up, which I think makes it good timing for him to walk away. But at the same time, you start to think like, what was Josh Kosciak's last real uh, impressive, credible win? You know, he got a split decision over Mike Pierce at UFC 143. He, he knocked out, super old ass Matt Hughes at UFC 135, And prior to that, he had that win over Paul Daly at UFC 113, which was, was dominating. But at the same time, you know, Paul Daly, uh, pretty much a striker. And that was May, 2010. So at this point, it's been a while since we saw what we consider to be the best out of, out of Josh Koscheck. Um, so Friday night in Vegas, just fun, fun, fun for Ben folks going to a brain damage clinic. Yeah. Jeez, just yeah. uh,
1: partying it, it, it up. It actually was. I'll, I'll have something uh, up on the site probably on, on MMA Junkie probably this week. But it actually was really interesting to go and uh, hear more about the the study that they've been doing. Uh, and you know, I think they said 338 fighters have been in this study that's been going on for about three years now. Uh, it, he estimated uh, – about 60-40, uh, the breakdown in favor of MMA fighters to boxers. Um, so, And Roy Nelson was there. Martin Campman was there. Um, got Local guys in Vegas there who were really supporting it. Uh, and, uh, you know, not surprisingly, they're seeing the effects in the brains of MMA fighters. Uh, so, you know, that, it was actually really interesting to go. And uh, Dr. Margaret Goodman from Vada was there, so we got to go and, and talk to her a little bit. One of the things, though, if we're talking about the Walter Waits at USC 167, the dude who never really gets noticed, even though he has a win over Johnny Hendricks, Rick Story. Right, yeah. Rick Bedtime Story, uh, there on the prelim card, uh, edged out Brian Ebersole in decision. Looks pretty good. You still are waiting to see, you know, a little bit more finishes if you're Rick Story and you're really trying to get noticed, especially with guys like, uh, Woodley and, and Robbie Lawler in the mix. But, uh, you know, that guy very quietly keeps hanging around, keeps asserting himself as a force. If he can put some wins together, and I think he admitted it when we talked to him afterwards that you know those guys have done what they need to do up there, he's stumbled a little bit. If he can just be consistent and go out there and, and put on good fights every single time... I don't know if you won't be talking about Rick story in that same way here in, in in a year or two.
0: Yeah. Well, Rick story is always one of those guys that looks big and strong at the weight class and has the, uh, the wrestling skills that, that we often see for guys that are coming and able to be a force, uh, really wasn't good for him. I don't think to be uh, a casualty on the Mike Pyle hype train, uh, you know, back back earlier this year, and then uh, Mike Pyle, of course, got derailed himself by by Matt Brown in twenty nine seconds. Uh, you
1: can make an argument that he won that Mike Pyle fight
0: back in uh, back in August.
1: That was, I mean, I think I, I felt like he deserved to win that one, but yeah, you're right. You know, and, and he kind of talked about that a little bit too—that he needed to be more consistent. You know, he had, and he also had the the blood squeezed out of his face by Demian Maya uh, back when he was first returning to welterweight. So, yeah, there, but you know, I think that. Uh, it's one of those divisions now where, you, like, when you talk about the future of George St. Pierre, you know, if he did decide to go, it's not like it would be a wasteland there without him. There's right. tons of talent there right now.
0: Yeah, I think you probably look at a uh, uh, either an interim or an out-and-out welterweight title fight between uh, maybe Johnny Hendricks and whoever uh, – emerges from that Carlos Condit fight as, as the winner. Maybe you put those guys.
1: Well, I think I know who you're picking because he referred to it as the Carlos Condit fight.
0: (laughs) Uh, and I guess, well, I mean, I think you assume that, uh, uh, that Johnny Hendricks probably emerges from the belt unless Matt Brown shocks us somehow. Uh, but, uh, does Johnny Hendricks? Does he seem like the kind of guy who can have a George St Pierre style run of dominance? I, w- I would say, you know, he he's been very successful, but at the same time has has looked vulnerable. Obviously, lost this uh, this fight against George St Pierre, and then had that very close fight with Carlos Condit, uh, which which uh, had a close fight
1: with Josh Koscheck. Well.
0: He was kind of fading down the stretch of that one. Um, a lot of guys, as you mentioned, looked really good on this UFC one sixty seven card. All of it overshadowed by the weirdness that happens after that happened. After uh, we've paid almost no attention to anyone else besides uh, George Saint Pierre, uh, suddenly coming out of the out with the fact that his dark place is perhaps not as funny as we thought it was <laughs> a while ago. But uh, another guy on the card, Rashad Evans, just went beast mode on Chael Sonnen and just destroyed him. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's
1: an, something I saw a lot of people talking about, and I wondered about too. Chael Sonnen didn't
0: look right. No, he didn't look like his heart was in it. Really, he didn't look like. Uh, Uh, He didn't look like he was in great shape, to be honest with you. I think that, uh, well, you know, and Chael's in a weird position in this fight, too, because the UFC had already (laughs) come out and announced his next fight uh, against Vanderlei Silva at the end of this tough Brazil thing. Uh, And, you know, Chael certainly not a spring chicken. I wouldn't be surprised if he was thinking about uh, hanging up the the gloves at some point soon because, while he's a guy that really, you get the impression, uh, loves the competition and was kind of of bred, Like he's one of these amateur wrestlers that that just grows up, kind of thriving off the competition. But at the same time, he's a guy that could do other stuff. Yeah, uh, not be a real estate agent, according to the federal government. But uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's good on TV. He's it seems like you know when he's not getting in trouble over on Fox that they, they seem to like him a lot. So uh, if I'm Chael Sonnen, you know, I've already had a goddamn magical run, right? I've done way more than anyone ever expected of me in the sport. Uh, lost twice to Anderson Silva lost to John Jones, but fought for for UFC titles on multiple occasions when a few years ago, it didn't seem like he was ever going to be in that position. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Chael is starting to – to turn it down a little bit. And I think, you know, going into a fight uh, against Rashad, who he considers, uh, you know, he's friendly with him. I don't know if they would consider each of them really, really close friends, but uh, I think that there was a lot of weird stuff for Chael surrounding this particular fight.
1: There was, and it was also a, a tough style matchup. It seems like uh Chael Sonnen really excels when uh, he can kind of, pick his fights a little bit mm-hmm. a, mean, a, like
0: say Vanderlei Silva, for instance,
1: Vanderlei Silva is a good example. Uh, even the Shogun thing too, uh, where you can see an opening and then say, aha, I would like that one. Uh, and then they match him up with a guy like Rashad Evans, who, you know, Joe even said beforehand, he would have preferred to stay away from, I can see why you would, uh, you know, that's a really tough fight for him. And, uh, you know, looking at it beforehand, it was tough to see how he might come out with a win on that one. So, uh, I mean, I would not be surprised if he takes this opportunity to, you know, do his reality show thing—a uh, medium that it seems like he is built to excel at. Uh, and then go out there and do exactly to Wanderlei Silva what we've been saying he will do for months. Uh, and yeah, why why wouldn't you call it quits then? Unless you know they give you one more crazy, completely unearned shot at a title somewhere, uh, which let's admit it is not completely out of the question.
0: Well, uh, and then for Rashad, a guy that I know, you talked to uh, leading up to this event. Uh, clearly, he had he had the the loss to John Jones back in 2012, and then had the uh, the 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 real stinker against Roger Nog uh, earlier this year. He, you know, he 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 got the the split decision win over Dan Henderson, but this was the first time we've ever you know that we've seen him come out and and really smash somebody in a long time uh does he think about going to 185 at any point does that uh can he make that weight and does does he see that in his future because if i were him and i figured that i just tooled a guy who was once considered uh one of the top contenders at 185 i would give middleweight a a, a thought especially if if chris weidman is going to be the champ down there not anderson silva
1: you know, I actually asked him about that when I talked to him before this fight, uh, and he said no. He said that he had thought about it and decided in the end that, um, for one thing, he didn't want to get into cutting that much weight, that, you know, he that's not something he's interested in, uh, and that he also feels like, I believe, as he put it, that the juice was not worth the squeeze uh, when it comes to dropping weight classes that guys think they're going to be stronger. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're a little bit stronger when they get down there. But uh, what they've given up uh, in terms of explosiveness or uh, endurance is just not worth it. Uh, and instead, it seemed like he had kind of resolved that he was going to stick around light heavyweight and try and you know, put together a win streak and finish some people and make it so that uh, they would pretty much have to give him a shot at John Jones or whoever happens to be the champion. At least that's what he said then. Who knows? He might be thinking about it differently in in a couple months' time.
0: Right. Well, I was just wondering because he he didn't he didn't he hasn't talked about it for a while. Didn't talk about it in the wake of this fight, even though he had he had just beaten a a, a top middleweight. Uh, but maybe you're right. Perhaps that he has already kind of uh, moved moved his his mental focus away from, from that and is just going to stick it out at, at 2.05. Uh, all right, well, Ben, let's do Just Saying Stuff before we wrap up this week. Uh, ben, this week, my Just Saying Stuff is that I see that maybe it's coincidence, but the Nevada State Athletic Commission, on the heels of Dana White's rant about how they're atrocious and the governor needs to step in, uh, has scheduled what they call a, a workshop on December 12th or December 2nd, I'm sorry, uh, uh, next month, where it seems like they're just going to be taking all comers in terms of people who want to come in and, and talk about the rules and, and regula- regulations and what ought to be changed about the way combat sports I- is uh, officiated and, and regulated there in Nevada.
1: So wait, like if I wanted to show up in the meeting you be like, okay, what about MMA? It's the same except both guys have to wear hats.
0: Yes, it sounds like you could do that. My Funny thought, hats. My thought, and I'm just saying... Wouldn't it be kind of awesome if somebody who knew something about medicine took the time and put together a proposal to come to this open rules meeting to present the case? Hey, you know what? Maybe we should just ban testosterone replacement therapy in Nevada because that might be pretty fitting medicine for somebody who's been kind of getting in the NSAC's face a lot lately. No, so you're just f- saying, just saying. Just saying take it up a notch.
1: Go to the mattresses, in other words. Okay, no, I like where your head's at. Well, Chad, I'm just saying that uh, last week, Dana White uh, announced that the UFC would be adding another women's weight class, 115 pounds, skipping right over 125, which I think tells us that the UFC knows that, A, there's a lot of talent at 115, and B, a lot of their 135ers would probably rather fight at 125 anyway, and if they all drop, then nobody would be around to fight Ronda Rousey. Uh, So... That's something that the UFC is, according to Dana White, working on. Although they do not have any details for it as of yet. So really, it's kind of just uh, an idea in theory at this stage. I'm just saying, man, that really sucks for Jessica Aguilar. Uh, because days before that, the maybe one of the best 115-pounders out there, if not the very best, signed a deal with the World Series of Fighting. Like, days beforehand. I'm just saying... Can't Jessica Aguilar get a break? God damn! Just saying. You wait all that time thinking maybe it's not going to happen. You're not going to get in the UFC. And then, boom, right after you sign a contract, you know they're going back looking at that contract. And be like, is Could there we... an out clause in here? Yeah. Maybe, uh, it was forged. It was forged. <laughs> That's clearly not her signature. Like you do if you have, like, you know, a bad, you know, bar tab or something oh, at the end of the night. Mean. I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, another women's division in the UFC. Good news for everybody except maybe the UFC's accountants. I don't know. Uh just That's going to do it uh, for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to preview the Tough 18 finale where Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavidez are going to do it again, brother. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
1: No, you don't know. Just,
0: just adding weight classes now to and fro. Almost off the cuff, it seems.
1: Well, I'm just excited for when we finally get that 210-pound division
0: up and running. The cruiserweight, well, I mean, it's wild over in Bellator. There's all kinds of stuff happening in the cruiserweight
1: division. Watch out, 210-pounders, because Rampage Jackson is coming for your ass.
0: It's almost as if Bellator's former heavyweight champion, a guy who's 6'6 and apparently weighs in at 235 pounds without cutting any weight... He might want to think about the cruiserweight division.
1: Hey, that's not a bad idea if he if he doesn't mind having bungalows thrown at his head.